Well, today we're continuing our series that we've been on the last uh, couple months called This Is Us. And I just want to say next week we're actually concluding the series by looking at what we believe and teach and confess about prayer. And uh, it's a really important Sunday to be here. There's a lot of different teachings out there actually about prayer. And uh, if you're not here, I would just encourage you, make sure that you go uh, online and watch later in the week or that day or whatever the case may be as we kind of bring this series to a close. But today we're going to be looking at the principle of leadership and how important leadership is for us here at Shepherd's Gate and uh, kind of what God lays out for us in his word on this very topic. Uh, And if you were here last week, Christian uh, preached, Christian McLean, and um, I got to be with the church group, so 50 of my closest friends. We got to meet new friends, and we were all at Lakeport State Park and just had a great time together. And uh, I'm just so proud of Christian. He did an absolutely incredible job. I got to watch it later, and I just think, can we just give him a hand for... If you weren't here, go online and watch it. It's kind of crazy to think it's only the third time that he's actually preached. The first time was Thanksgiving Eve, so it was one service. Then he preached Ash Wednesday, which was two, right, because we do two services. And then this was his first Sunday morning ever. And I called him later in the day, and I said, hey, how's it going? And it was so nice to hear. He said, I'm exhausted. (laughs) I don't know how you guys do that every week, and I just made me feel good. So... Uh, But we're definitely uh, just going to keep utilizing him in this role and uh, just believe that God has put his hand upon him and gifted him in this area. And uh, here at Shepherd's Gate, we are. We value leadership. We value raising up leaders. In fact, if you're a member of the staff here at Shepherd's Gate, you are required, you are expected to find and to recruit other leaders in your ministry areas. And not only do you find leaders within your ministry areas, you then teach and you encourage them to then find leaders underneath them. And so we really are big on this here at Shepherd's Gate. Uh, We believe that every leader is responsible to recruit. So you gotta go recruit people to equip them so you train them. And then these last two are equally as important that you empower and you release others into places of leadership. And my years here at Shepherd's Gate, what a joy it's been for me to watch as I've been able to work with students over the years and now uh, primarily with adults and being able to pour into people's lives and to watch them take on leadership positions. And uh, it's actually one of my greatest joys to watch other people do ministry, even more than watching myself do. I love raising up people and pouring into them and watching them uh, rise to those different leadership responsibilities and challenges. Uh, and, um, and I know most of you know that the most important leadership position that God has given us is to our families. Amen? Amen. And even though we know that to be true, so whether you're a father here this morning, you're a mother, you're a grandparent, you're an uncle, you're an aunt, whatever the case may be, even though we know that tr- principle to be true, sometimes it's so hard for us to follow that to live that out in our lives. It's so easy to get distracted from other things. And I poked at something a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to poke at it again, because I think it's just something that we got to constantly fight again in our culture. Uh, Especially with men, men are taught that we should go it alone. And you might remember uh, we looked at this passage from Genesis where God saw a man in the garden. He had everything he could possibly want or need. He was in perfect relationship with God. There was no sin in the world. And God was the one. It wasn't man because we know man would never say this. It was God that said it is not good that man should be alone. 
But yet, for some reason, in our minds, in our culture, especially when it comes to men, we're convinced that we should know everything and know how to do everything ourselves. We should know how to fix everything. We should know how to handle the family finances. We should know how to be the perfect husband, the perfect father, the perfect parent. We should be able to manage everything in our lives and never ask for help. And asking for help is somehow some sign of weakness or being around other men or other Christians and actually uh, you know, telling them about the struggles in our lives somehow equates to being a sign of weakness. In fact, it goes as far as saying that we should actually be strong for everyone, right? We should never cry, even though God gave men tear ducts as well as he gave them to women. We should never show emotion, never show weakness, but we should really truly go it alone. And maybe you're a single mom here this morning, and maybe you feel the same way. Yet as you look into the Bible, as you read story after story, account after account, scripture after scripture, nowhere in scripture do we ever find God asking a man or a woman to go through life alone. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, God constantly puts people in groups. He constantly brings other people alongside of us and alongside of them to encourage, to walk through life with. And today we're going to be looking at an incredible example of two Old Testament characters, two uh, real-life accounts of these guys that God brought together. And you're going to see just how God worked in and through each one of their lives. And it's found in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And I invite you to turn to your chair Bibles. It's in page 301. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And it's the relationship between Elijah and Elisha. And some of you, if you grew up in church, if you grew up in Sunday school, you might remember the story of Elijah. The most well-known story of Elijah is he has kind of this battle with these prophets of Baal. You see, Elijah was living at a time when people weren't turning to God. In fact, they were turning to false gods, and all these people were doing these crazy, horrendous things to try to get the attention of their gods. And Elijah was a prophet of God. He was called by God, and he decides to come up with this system where they're going to have this kind of um, prayer off, you could kind of call it. And so they, they develop this altar and he lets them go first. The prophets of Baal go first. And so they do all this stuff. They get a bull that they sacrifice. They begin to pray and cry out. They even slash their wrists, do just weird stuff, crying out to their God. And the whole idea is that the whole sacrifice is supposed to be consumed. And they're praying day in and day out and yet nothing is happening. And Elijah's just standing there, see, I told you, your God is not the real true God. Until finally it's Elijah's turn and he goes over and he rebuilds the altar and he has them douse the thing with all this water, so much water that's completely consumed in, in and around the, the altar area and he cries out to God and if you remember the story, the whole thing is consumed, the whole thing. God comes down with fire and he just burns up the altar, everything, even all the water in the moat that was around it and God displayed his power and the people turned back to God and then Elijah actually orders the killing of the prophets of Baal. That's how the story ends. Usually we stop short of that in Sunday school, right? But that's usually, that's really how the story ends. And so we're picking up the story now uh, with this lady, Queen Jezebel. She wasn't very happy about this, right? I mean, if you're, if you're worshiping false gods and you feel like you're the rule of your land and you don't want to submit your will to Christ, the last thing is you want is a guy like Elijah causing issues. And so she issues a death warrant on Elijah. So Elijah, when we're going to pick it up in the story, he's actually fleeing for his life. And so as you can see there in, in um, 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 9, here he is, he's fleeing away after doing this incredible thing for God. It says, Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. 
And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, the reason that God's asking him, what are you doing here, is because God never told him to flee. God never told him to run away. God never told him to go to the cave. So he's asking, what are you doing here? Look at his response. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. Now, the prophets that he's talking about are the good prophets that God sent to help them. And then he says, and I, even I, only am left and they seek my life to take it away. So here he goes from being on part of this mountaintop experience, seeing this incredible thing take place, and now he's pretty much hit rock bottom. He feels like he's all alone. He feels now that he's gotta run for his life, and he's crying out to God. The pressures of being a prophet, the pressures of trying to live out the calling that God has placed on his life is overwhelming to him. In fact, this section right before this, Elijah is so overwhelmed that he actually asked God to take his life. To take his life. That's how, that's how much in despair he was. And so you can kind of feel the weight of the responsibility that this man is taking and everything that it, that, it, that it involves. And he's trying to figure this whole thing out and he's just trying to put everything together. And I think so often for us, that happens to us too. One moment, things can be going so well and everything's clicking in our lives and our marriages and our places of work and our families. And then the next moment, everything comes crashing down around us. Does anyone feel overwhelmed this morning? Does anyone feel like there's too many things vying for your attention and you can't keep up and you can't manage all of the things that you have? Ever feel like everyone wants something from you and you just simply can't keep up? And good-hearted Christians will come along and they'll say things like this, God will never give you more than you can handle. Just hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. And do you know that it says nowhere in Scripture that God will never give you more than you can handle? In fact, God gives us more than we can handle all the time. All the time. And here's a prime example of it. This guy is fleeing for his life. If you want to ask some other guys, go find Moses and say, did God ever give you more than you can handle? Hey, Jonah, remember you were in the belly of the fish. Did God ever give you more than you can handle? No, I could handle that. That was a piece of cake. From Paul on, all of the people, from one end to the other, God constantly puts us in situations where we end up crying out to him. And here's God's response. What are you doing here and so he causes these things to come in in these next few verses. He causes this, this windstorm to come and, and this, um, the fire to come and all these things to try to get his attention to say, hey, I am with you and I am in creation and I control everything. And it wasn't until Elijah saw God's whisper and God repeated again, Elijah, what are you doing here and so God continues to pour into him and he says this, he gives him instructions. He, he tells him what's next in his vocation and he responds by telling Elijah to anoint two kings as well as Elisha. And he says, Elisha is gonna be your successor. Elisha is gonna be the next prophet. And it's so interesting as you read this as even as he's trying to comfort him, he's still having him live out his calling in his life, which is exactly what Elisha did, is you can start reading 
In verse 19, it says, He departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12. And Elisha passed by him, and he cast his cloak upon him. And see, in this passage here, basically, this was a symbolic gesture that Elisha was now going to be Elijah's successor. And as we read this passage, as you dig into this text, you find out that Elisha was so committed to being connected to Elisha, to allowing him to mentor him, that he destroys all of his possessions, including his livestock, and he burns it all up, and he begins to follow Elijah. And what hit me this week as I was reviewing this passage is what you see in this, in this, in this narrative here is an example of obedience on both of these men's part. Elijah, he could have stayed in the cave, He could have wallowed in his own self-pity. He could have said, look, I'm all alone and nobody's here to help me and how am I supposed to get through this and now people are out to get me and to take my life. Elisha could have just said, no, I'm not really interested in in being mentored by you and I I get it, you're a big prophet and everybody knows who you are. You're pretty famous around here. But I'm pretty pretty okay just working here on the family farm. Yet Yet in both situations, both stepped out in faith. Both were willing to do what God had called and appointed and had asked them to do. And I've always found these two, their relationships, so fascinating. I mean, we don't learn a lot in this portion of the text about their training that Elisha received, but we can see how close these two came together over time. And I want you to turn now to page 307 because I want you to see how their story kind of continues. And in... in, uh, Page 303, or 307, 2 Kings 2, 1. It says, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah and go up by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah says to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But listen to his response. But as Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. That over the course of time, these two became so close and so integrated in learning and growing together and Elijah pouring into Elisha that he said, no matter what, I am not going to leave your side. As surely as the Lord is, as surely as you live, I am gonna be here. See, I believe in this room, we are all called to be mentors and to be students. We're all called by God to do this. And as we look this day on this Father's Day, who is it, guys, that you're mentoring? Who is it that you're pouring your life into? Who is it that you're dedicating your time and your energy into raising up? And women, it's the same for you. And on the flip side of that, who is it that you're allowing to pour into your life? Who is it that speaks into your life? Who do you go to for advice? Who do you go to for counsel? Who do you go to that you can be open and honest with and share what's actually going on in your life. See, this was the time when they knew that Elijah's time was getting short, that God was about to take him in this miraculous miracle. He's the only guy that didn't die goes, goes to heaven in this whirlwind. And so he's getting short with his time here on earth. And if you keep reading in verse 9 and 10, it says, Tell me, this is Elijah, what can I do before you before I am taken from you? And this is Elisha's response. He says, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. This is what he wants from his mentor. This is what he wants from the guy that has poured so much of his life into him. Elisha goes for it. He displays incredible boldness. 
And I bet most parents in this room, most grandparents in this room, aunts and uncles included, you would say that you want those in your family to have a better life than you. That you want your kids to advance further than you. That you hope that they make more money than you. That you hope they live in a bigger house. That they're more successful. That they have all the things in this life that, that, we, that we so often are focused on. That you want them to have a better life. And there's nothing wrong with that. You want them to be more educated. You want them to have the things that you have in even greater detail. And it's even more rewarding as a parent or a grandparent is if you played a part in it. If you can say, well, we made this parenting decision and because of this, look at our kid turned out this way or because we did this or because we invested here or because we invested our time and our resources here, our kid turned out to be this way. But what about when it comes to matters of faith? Do we want our kids to have a double portion of the faith that God has given us? Do we want our kids to be closer to God than we are? Do we want our kids to make a bigger impact on this world for God than maybe even we have? And if so, how do you go about doing that? How do we start to move in that direction? And I believe it's as simple as starting with prayer. We humble ourselves, we invite God into the situation We get around other godly leaders and we ask how we can pour spiritually into our kids and our grandkids. And maybe you're here this morning and you're having thoughts of, oh, you know, nobody wants to listen to me and nobody cares what I have to say or this or that or I'm at an age where I'm just kind of put to the side. I would just encourage you, don't think that way. Pray about who God would pour into your heart, who he would put on your heart to maybe broach about mentoring and raising up and the wisdom and the knowledge that you have and the life experiences that you have, that your time isn't done yet, that God's not done working through you and maybe it's not a family member, maybe it's somebody else that God would lay on your heart to pour into. The most important thing we can do for those that God has placed in our life, think about this, is to pass on the faith to them. I know so often when we talk about these things, many people, especially men, they just feel unqualified or they don't know where to begin or they don't know if they have the time to do it, right? And so time's always this big factor, like how in the world am I supposed to fit in one more thing? And I told you a few weeks ago about how uh, Henry signed me up to be the head coach of his baseball team. Remember this story? And we finished the season. Thank God, we're done, right? <laughs> I made it to all but one game, and the other guy that I volunteered, the other dad that goes here to Shepherd's Gate, he missed the second half of the season because he already had his family vacation planned. And the, the other coach that was on the team, there was three of us, the other coach that volunteered, and the only reason he volunteered is because nobody else was stepping up to lead the coaching team, was legally blind. All right, so I want you to think about this. Great heart, love this guy, but he, he wasn't able to do things. It was so interesting because we would go to the games and, and the dads would all be just like standing there on the line and just trying to coach their, their sons from the sideline because our team was all boys and they're trying to coach their sons. And I said, guys, why don't you just come out on the field and help me coach the team? And you're like, me? I can help coach the team? I'm like, yeah. And so then all of a sudden we started putting all of these dads out on the field and basically for the rest of the season I just rotated dads, different dads pitching to the kids. That's what I love to do. I love saying, hey, you know, you can do this. And I said to him, I said, why didn't any of you sign up to coach? Like this team is actually from your church, Emmanuel Luther, not from my church, Shepherd's Gate. You guys all go to Emmanuel. Why didn't any of you sign up to coach? You know what they all said over and over again? We don't have time. I said, but you're at all the games. You could do this. 
I said, next year, you're all getting signed up to coach <laughs> Little League Baseball. You know, the truth is, your kids would rather you own a used car that's falling apart, headed on another adventure and spending time and pouring into them and mentoring them than they ever would you driving some fancy high-end car if it's sitting in your office parking lot. Amen? And if you spend more time enjoying maybe your hobby than you do spending time with your family, let me just encourage you this morning, something needs to change. And if you still feel like you don't have enough time and you don't know where to begin, let me tell you, if you have a TV in your house, how many of you have TVs in your house? Try this this summer. Take the TV off the wall or go hide it in the closet for the entire summer and watch how much of your time opens up. And pray to God and ask him to lead you and to guide you about how you can pour into your kids. You know, you heard this morning, we prayed over a lot of family members that have lost fathers. And it's just weird that so many families have lost fathers so close to Father's Day. And um, we've all been doing funerals and, and trying to make it to everyone's, you know, just to be there to honor them. And I did a funeral this last Thursday for a member who lost her dad. And, um, you know, we always meet with the family and we take notes and we try to find out, you know, a little bit more about the family and this last Thursday, this, this funeral, it just rocked me because I'm sitting there and I met the guy a couple times. I didn't know him that well. I know the family from here very well. And we're sitting there, we're taking notes and I'm saying, okay, tell me a little bit about this guy. And, 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 the, and his daughters begin to say, well, my dad was kind of a unique guy. He would wake up every single morning and make his wife breakfast. And he would wake up every single morning and he would pull her car out from the garage and have it ready for her. And if the weather was too bad, he would insist on driving her to work. He loved her. He was always willing to, to jump in and to help out and to cook and to clean. And as I'm writing this, I'm thinking, is my wife gonna be at this funeral? <laughs> and then I'm thinking, for all the other guys in the room, this is not gonna go well for us. And they continue talking about how patient and loving he was as a father. And, you know, he had such a hard time saying no, maybe even, as a, maybe even to a fault. And they begin to talk about the kind of grandparent he was. And they were talking about how uh, him and his wife, there's five grandkids. And whenever one of them turned eight years old, they would take him on a trip. Wherever they wanted to go, that grandkid could go on whatever trip they wanted to go. And so a couple of them picked Chicago. One of them picked Tennessee. The fifth one finally caught on and picked Jamaica, okay? <laughs> But these grandkids bawling their eyes out because of the relationships that they had with their grandfather and how loved they were by him, about how they would do whatever they could to make sure they didn't miss any of their sporting activities or any of their games. And it convicted me. It honestly did. It. His life story and the amount of time and relationship that he poured into his family made me stop and think about the time and the effort that I'm pouring into my spouse and into my family and into the relationships that God has given me. And only God could have orchestrated all of that to be with our text today and being talking about leadership. What's so interesting is that my parents are moving here. They're actually arriving on my doorstep on Wednesday. They closed on a house. They're gonna be moving here permanently this Saturday. And I've only seen my parents twice a year since I've been 18 years old. When I went off to college, they moved to Arizona and then they've been in Virginia for the last 14 years. And so this whole world that I know of is gonna completely change. 
And I'm not even sure what all that means, like having my parents there all the time. Like they're four miles from me and they're four miles from my brother. Imagine that, right? And I'm kind of excited about my kids being able to be close to their grandparents because my wife's parents live in Ohio and they don't have that opportunity. And so if you're here this morning and you're a parent or you're a grandparent, I would encourage you, assess the relationships that you have and what are you pouring into them? How much time and energy are you doing with that? And I want you to see as the time comes for the end of Elisha, I want you to look at at 2 Kings 2, 11 and 12. Look at it, it says, as they were walking along and talking together, I like that. See, there's this relationship that's taking place. Suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appears and it separates the two of them And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. And even though it's hard for us to understand, we believe it to be true. And listen to this. Elisha saw this and he cried out, my father, my father. Man, and that hit me. How strong and intimate their relationship is that the time had come for the spiritual mantle to be passed. And he loved this guy so much, even though he wasn't a family member, even though this wasn't his dad, that he would cry out, my father, my father. See, Elijah didn't get to pick the time, and Elisha didn't get to pick the time either. God picked the time because all the days for us are ordained before any of them come to pass. And even though he wasn't his physical father, he was a spiritual father to Elisha. And he passed on that double portion of his spirit. And you know what's so good for us, the good news this morning for us as we received in communion, that thanks be to God that Jesus hung on a cross for us and he cried out, my God, my God. When he took the weight of the world on his shoulders, when he paid for our sins, when he paid a price for the things that we've done, when we haven't done things the right way and we've put things in the wrong order and we've put work above our families or we've put our hobbies above our families or we've done things that maybe we shouldn't have done, that through Jesus' death and resurrection as we confess our sins, that he forgives us and he picks us back up and he puts us back on that path and he helps us know how to do this and do it the way that he's called us to do it. God didn't leave us, but he gives us his Holy Spirit inside of us to walk us through life. And I want you to see what Elisha does next as we conclude this morning. It says he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah. He takes on the responsibility. Everything that's been handed to him, now he begins to go. And so what it makes me wonder this morning is who are the Elijahs and Elishas of our time? Who's responsible for the handoff? I don't think it's the pastors. I don't think it's the church workers. I don't think it's the coaches or the trainers or the teachers. These are all secondary positions that God has blessed people with. If you're a parent, your kids are the number one priority. And if you're a grandparent, it's your grandkids. If you're in a place of leadership, it's whoever God has put under you to pour your life into and never think that it's too late. Never think that your kids are gone and how are you gonna do this? Begin to pray and ask God to show you how you can influence another person's lives. Parents, are you willing to take on this responsibility to continue to point people to Jesus? Leaders in this room, are you willing to step into your God-given role that we might be strengthened in our homes that even in this church, and yes, even in our community, that God would be glorified. 
Are we willing to do that this morning, Shepherd's Gate? Amen? Amen. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Father, we just thank you for your love and your grace in each and every one of our lives. God, we thank you for the examples that you give us in Scripture, that it's not hero after hero after hero that that got everything done right because nobody got it right but Jesus. But that, God, you allow us to peek into these people's lives that live, that struggled with the same things that we struggle with, that dealt with the same fears and hardships that we deal with, but that, God, you never left them that you continued to walk alongside them, that you continued to show them the path that you have for them. And that, God, you bring people around us to encourage us to walk through life together. And God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for those that are in places of leadership. And God, truly all of us are in a place of leadership. All of us can mentor somebody else. All of us can speak into somebody else's life. And God, would you also help us if we're trying to go through life alone to stop, to realize, God, that you have a purpose and a plan and that you have others that can pour into us as well and come alongside us and help us be even stronger and to grow in the things of you. So God, now, once again, God, I just thank you for the men in this room as we celebrate Father's Day today. I thank you just for the opportunity to to celebrate them in a tangible way in our fellowship hall. And God, we just pray your hand to be upon each and every person. Help us to be the people that you've called us to be, the leaders that you've called us to be. We just love you and thank you for everything that you've given us through Jesus Christ our Lord. In your name we pray, amen.